0: Don't. Be afraid. Be very afraid.
1: There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that
2: means to you. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? Why do I Because we got Holy You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear. What scares us and what saves us, this is the fear of God. Hello and welcome to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear where every single week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And Reed was here, but he said he needed to go rent a copy of All the Right Moves with Tom Cruise for reasons. Reasons. While we wait on Reed, I would like to welcome to the show two previous visitors who decided that the cheap real estate in Woodsboro was worth taking advantage of. Yes, two new residents to our sleepy town, but two old friends to our little podcast. First, this gentleman has moved into the late Arthur Hembry's house, former principal at Woodsboro High School. Welcome back to the show, Fast Friend, a new fog mainstay, author of the recent Lurking Under the Surface. It is Brandon Grafius. Brandon, welcome back to the show, friend.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm not sure about this new house I'm inhabiting, but yeah, you know, we'll you know,
2: you 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 got to make it your own. That's all there really is to it. Um. Secondly, this new Woodsboro citizen has moved into the old Becker house at a steal, according to Redfin. Welcome back once more, friends and foggers, to author of Lovecraft Country and its recent sequel, Destroyer of Worlds, Mr. Matt Ruff, Matt welcome back to the show sir
0: and a pleasure as always to be here so and i know the rules i will i will survive
2: okay okay thank you donna summer um uh but you know (laughs) i know that that house you moved into has got quite a sordid history but that pool mm, that's a good pool there uh that's where the first fog uh, fear of god conference is going to hang be is at your place Ah. a uh house warming um matt Brandon, y'all go answer that ringing phone for me real quick while I remind listeners that here at the fear of God, we explore, we don't explain, except for now when I explain that you can find all things foggy at the fearofgodpodcast.com. Things such as, and especially how to support us on Patreon. More on that momentarily, because joining us now, even though his mom and dad are going to be so mad at him, it's Reed Lackey. Reed.
3: Hello. Sorry. I had to. Hey, uh, hey i had to pause all the right moves in all the right places and uh hey! got my got my, got my jiffy. for all the wrong reasons oh that's right got my jiffy pop ready to go so uh so i'm here hey matt hey brandon it's good to see you guys good hey, to see you.
2: i enjoy i enjoy the way that's a good a yeah. touch um yeah Reed, no, glad but, yeah, but, yeah 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 it's it's yeah. podcasting you know uh read brandon matt we've got some quick business to attend to before we get to our main discussion for today one Listeners if you're finding us for the first time today welcome and no, you have caught us at the perfect time because it is spooky season and that can only mean one thing Reese's pumpkins are out. Thank you God. Um, mm-hmm. Let me rephrase it can only mean two things. It is time now, once more, for The Fear of God to cover an entire horror franchise in one series. We started this last year with Halloween at Halloween, as we trekked through the misadventures of Michael Myers and Busta Rhymes. And this year, starting today, we are covering all of the films in the Scream franchise with the series Screamoween. Today's conversation will also feature a patron-only segment, a tradition also begun last year of Reed and I discussing an episode of The Simpsons' Treehouse of Horror installments. The second order of business for today and the means by which you get to enjoy segments like Treehouse of Horror is join Patreon. A great way to show your love for your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear and nets you bonuses like extra content every single episode. But it also gets you in on exclusive bonus events like the recent Happy Hour Horror Hangout as well as the upcoming Fogoween, our annual Halloween party Details TBD. Details TBD. Tripped over those syllables. Our... Last order of business today is also scream related. This franchise has been part of film and horror fans lives for almost count them, gentlemen, 30 years, almost 30 years, which is is old making. (laughs) If there is a thing that is Uh, and we on the show want to hear your scream stories do you have a fun poignant or otherwise memorable story memory or experience related to a scream film or just want to share what the films have meant to you we'd love to hear about it you can start submitting your stories today by emailing them to fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com once more that is fear at gmail.com no the and later in the series we'll start sharing some of those on the podcast okay Whew. yeah that is enough just- Yeah. For now. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, take it, take a break. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to, but I'm going to invite Matt and Brandon to do you and I a favor um, while you and I step away for this patron segment. I want Matt and Brandon to remind listeners of the rules. Matt just reminded us that he does know them. So I'm going to have them update folks on the rules while we're gone. Thank you for doing that boys. And we will be right back.
3: So about this movie, uh, we are here, gentlemen, to discuss the original 1996 Wes Craven directed, Kevin Williamson written, and a plethora of famous faces starring Scream. I'm going to kick the door down by reading the Apple uh, iTunes summary uh, just uh, very, very briefly in case listeners do of show like this have never heard of a film called scream. <laughs> here's, here's what it's about it says decades on from its original release. Wes Craven's scream remains a pop culture classic. Not only did the film define a generation bringing together a cast that included Nev Campbell, Drew Barrymore, Courtney Cox, Rose McGowan, David Arquette, and skeet Ulrich. It also slashed its way through the conventions of horror with its smart and subversive take on the genre. Darkly funny and full of genuine shocks, Scream is an entertaining thrill ride for those who like scary movies. Little editorializing, but I like it. I dig it. Good job, Apple. Um, so I, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna I, make something I, of yourself one day. <laughs> that's a go. That company's going places. So, um, I think I want to start uh, by just sort of going around and seeing what our individual histories uh, were with it. Uh, Matt, I think I'm gonna start with you. Did you see this in the theater? You know, what's been your exposure with the screen, with the first scream and the scream franchise writ large?
0: I don't remember whether I saw it in the theater or not. I probably, or, or if if I didn't, I rented it on video as soon as it was available on video. So I very much remember the first one, and I remember that was the. That was the only one that really resonated with me. I, I, I felt that the, the the sequels very quickly became boring, nigh yeah. unwatchable, and so I, I kind of we've gave got a whole
2: series to go, Matt. Okay. Yeah, no, no,
0: no. <laughs> I, I, just just for me though, it's like the 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 gimmick was kind of done, played out with the first one, and and I mm. periodically I would think about going back and checking it out again, and and the but the sequels just yeah, it it kind of. I, I, I don't remember anything much about them, except that they, they just got less interesting as they went along. So, and it was interesting going back this week. I forgot, first of all, how old the movie was. Yeah. You mentioned 1996, so 27 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that struck me um, watching it was just, for me at least, I think a lot of what made the first one special at the time, it, it feels like it... it it's just one of those those cultural things that was very much of its moment. And like I remember the big thing was that this was the this was the big meta horror. This was this new idea, a horror film that the characters knew they were in a slasher movie and they knew the rules, even if they inevitably didn't follow them. And then, you know, the opening where they bring in Drew Barrymore, this big star, and and immediately kill her off, which is like, oh, I never saw that before. And mm-hmm. but now, 27 years later, it's like everything is meta every mm. every so mm. that doesn't feel quite as original even some of the individual set pieces in the like the jokes in the film it occurred to me that to people today that they probably don't land the same way like the choice to cast um, henry winkler as the principal at the high school right and of course you're watching this in 1996 you know henry winkler primarily as fonzie from happy days who you watched when you were growing up and so it was kind of Totally casting against type. It's like, oh my gosh, Fonzie got old, got middle-aged, and now he's the man, and mm-hmm. he dies. Mm-hmm. And today, it's like you watch that, and if you, you know, Henry Winkler still got a career, but everybody knows him as somebody who has always been old. Nobody watches Happy <laughs> Days anymore. So, so yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's still, it's like a perfectly watchable, well-made film, but with a couple of exceptions that I will talk about as we go along, I, I think most of it is just, not particularly memorable anymore to me at least mm. and i i was like if i sure. saw this today i'd be like yeah that was okay you know yeah but, oh, but that's I, fascinating. I, yeah so and i i uh, hope that's not a buzzkill for people i know there are some people who still love it and obviously they're they're still making sequels so
3: <laughs> yeah it continues to kind of reinvent itself i, I uh real quick i want to yes and you there that's interesting so way 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 back um and th- this is not, Nathan, this is not calling you out because I'm identifying a thing that can happen oh in our brains. No, no, no. Um, something I've observed, and Nathan, you don't do this as much anymore, but I remember when <laughs> when you would watch things like the first Halloween. So the uh, very first time you watched the first Halloween, I, rem- I seem to recall that you mentioned feeling at times like it was self-parodying with the way that it would have a big you know, sound cue music cue as a kill was happening. Now this is again, when you like earlier before you were as acquainted with everything else Um, and piggybacking that to, to something that Matt just said, it is weird to me. I still don't have quite the right words to wrap around, but the way to your point, Matt, that a film that is as meta as scream is that now going back to it, you kind of have to contextualize it. People coming to it for the very first time. Now, if they've seen a whole bunch of this other stuff, It's gonna feel like, oh, they're just doing all the same stuff that everybody else does, not remembering, or you know, it it there's a cognitive dissonance that it's like, well, in ninety-six, nobody was doing that, you know, like that was all it's like the old joke about
0: Shakespeare that it's all cliches. Yeah, exactly.
3: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Oh, that's great. Um, so yeah, I do I do find that really interesting, especially in watching the first one. I think the later ones have different pluses and minuses that, you know, we'll be getting into through the run of these episodes. But I did find that especially interesting watching the first one this time around. Um, But uh, anyway, before I get too far down that road, Brandon, what's your history with scream and uh, with the franchise?
1: It seems like in 1996, nobody was doing this except Wes Craven in a new nightmare. um, Oh, yeah,
3: But yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. So, so it came out when I was in college. At that time, I I didn't have many friends who watched horror. I mostly watched horror on my own, um, so I didn't go see it in the theater. I rented it pretty much as soon as it came out, and I, I hadn't read much about it yet either. I knew it was this buzzy horror film, and you know I knew Wes Craven and all that, so I was excited for it. Um, and that that first scene really knocked me on my ass. I was prepared mm. for you know the the jokey beginning um and establishing the characters and all those things and then i remember that dawning realization of okay this is more than a jokey beginning at that very moment when he says i want to know who it is i'm looking at and the 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 tone changes instantly so that's like the the first oh my god moment in here and then the second one happens when she actually gets killed and i'm Still thinking that she's going to find out a way out of this at that point. So so for me, I I feel like that's maybe the closest I've had as a viewer to experiencing what it would have been like to see Janet Lee get into the shower in 1960 and have mm-hmm. no idea what was what was yeah. coming next. Um I it really, really hit me that way. Um yeah. so yeah. I've I've admired it for that, that ever since. Just that that opening scene, I think, is is pretty masterful. Yeah, Yeah, lots more to say, but I'll
3: sure, sure. Um, Ask the others now. Yeah, sure, Nathan. I'll defer and let you sort of share your history with it, and then I'll I'll round us off before we move into other things.
2: Um, so for as much as my presence on Fear of God was a zombified mother hen, Reed taking me under her (laughs) decaying wing. Wow. Um the as in Oddly as in like, accurate <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no that's that's real that's not a criticism um uh you know i i have always had a thread of appreciation and affection for you know the thriller the sci-fi the horror you know genre style material and scream really stands out as a pretty significant entry and it's funny read this analogy just came to me and I don't know if our other two if our guests here will appreciate it in the way I know you will but the scream is a bit to me from a horror standpoint like it's it's the jesus freak and jars of clay of horror movies it's like there's there's pre this which i didn't have an appreciation for ccm music pre jesus freak jars of clay I didn't really have a deep abiding affection or appreciation for horror films uh until kind of scream that they, they kind of hinge uh, uh that's kind of an axis point there and so what's fascinating though is i don't i actually am a little in matt's camp on this first film the longer i've absorbed it and been with it and yet at the same time it was deeply significant for me to the point that i was thrown Watching, so we're recording right now this evening for Scream, and then after you, gentlemen, we'll we'll do Scream Two. And I had my dates wrong. I thought Scream the first one was ninety seven, which was my senior year of high school, and and it is not. It is December ninety six, and remarkably, Scream Two is but a year later. (laughs) But this is to my the point I'm getting at here is the first film just catapulted you know from a box office standpoint from a zeitgeist standpoint to the point that my senior year and 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 this will come up again multiple times during scream Wayne, who knows maybe we'll we'll you know call in some favors but in my high school i went to we had to do a senior project you know it's this big sort of um uh multidisciplinary style type of thing that you're doing for you know graduation that kind of thing well i wanted to make a movie and I made a movie that is a spoof of scream, which yes, is ironic given scream was a meta text itself. I wasn't savvy enough or smart enough really to kind of comprehend all those things. Cause again, I didn't have the, the lexicon that it was even pulling from. Um, but I made a movie called shout, which is <laughs> about a guy in a scream mask. It's not meta to the, to the, the self the, the made movie uh that it's scream but it's called shout and he kills people with shout laundry detergent it's asinine and absurd and 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 this beautiful nugget of my sort of past and it's on vimeo uh, i'll link it at some point but the point i'm trying to make is scream the the ip which is not a phrase i would have used then was hugely influential to my late teen years and and, and that high school period what is fascinating now is and I thought this earlier today. Um, I have a lot of nostalgic affection for this first entry, but I I kind of more appreciate it and than I do like love it. And something that's fascinating is, you know, when you kind of uh enmesh yourself in a stream of of pop culture, you know, uh uh daredevil comics for one let's just pull one out random one out of the air um big big daredevil fan here but it's like you know suddenly you you may not love every daredevil comic book but suddenly you're you're gaining a new vista of sort of uh creative comprehension and so there's a world where uh ironically and remarkably and you didn't know i was going to talk this long read so my apologies there it's what just kind of what i do I've never done this. I'm not a re-watcher, y'all. I rewatch stuff for the show when it's called for, but generally speaking, I, I don't have a ton of like spare time to stuff, you know, kind of re-watches into. Earlier this year, in prep for Scream Six, we had not decided we were doing Scream Hoween. So this was not even a determined thing. I rewatched all of these movies. So this year, I will be re-watching this whole series twice, which is uncannily unique for my experience of of media sometimes and so what why i share that is i've just grown to appreciate them like it's like oh you know i don't like love this movie but it's just kind of fun and i like these people and you know uh some of it's some of it doesn't work for me necessarily but oh this is a fun scene and isn't this cool when randy's given his speech in front of the halloween scene and the intercut and the parallel you know kind of editing and that kind of stuff, so. I've grown to just kind of like enjoy it as this token of horror storytelling. Uh, if, if that's a long winded answer to your question, but it just, right. it lodges a little differently than just a mirror. I like or dislike it. Uh, it, it is sure. more layered for me, uh, what's not a lot of stuff is uh, in the way that this has become, which is interesting to me.
0: I've, I've got a list of films that would fit into that same category as well. Scream's not on it, but I know what you're talking about. Exactly. They, they may not be good, but there's sometimes it's just one element about it that you like to go back to once in a while. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Yeah.
3: That makes and, a, that makes a lot of sense. Go ahead, Brandon. and
1: something that helps you contextualize everything else you see, um, yeah. mm. something, mm-hmm. something that, that everything else is in relation to
2: that, that it's well. Almost and like to I, your point, to your point, Brandon, I'm sorry for cutting you off, but last year when we fine. did Halloween at Halloween, where we did the entire Halloween franchise, we I wasn't watching Scream during that. But I remember retelling you, I was like, doing this exercise in that instance, watching all the Halloweens gave me fresh appreciation for Scream. I was like, mm, I now sure. yeah. more concretely understand some of the tropes they're calling out and some of the conventional storytelling they're pointing to, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, it gives you a new kind of. Uh, set of skills and and you know that kind of thing
3: yeah absolutely um so for for me um some something a bit on the personal end is i've i've come to recognize that when something catches it uh, not too dissimilar from what you each have described when something catches in my mind and it it has become a watershed moment where i can remember when i first saw it i can still visualize where i was and and what i felt like when i first saw it things like when i saw the matrix in in theaters for the first time when i saw jurassic park in theaters for the first time uh i can still remember very very young age but i can remember when i saw psycho for the first time in many of those same ways when i latch in utero right Uh, practically, Um, but uh, when I latch onto a thing and my memory is so associated with that, it can, I'll be willing to admit, it can override certain imperfections. That uh, entire sort Mm -hmm. of qualifier is that the original Scream is probably, it's definitely a top five. It might be a top three favorite scary movies for for me, Um, the original one, but I think a lot of that is rooted in... Setting the stage a little bit. I was 15 years old and I was it was one of those rare moments where so I didn't get to get out to the theater a lot. Uh, my family were a little bit more on the skittish conservative end of me going to the movies to see something. How I got around that is that there was a video store right down the street. And when mom and dad were out of town or gone for the evening, I could go down there and I was an older teenager, so I could have leeway to rent whatever I wanted to. Well, all the right moves amongst them. Just- yeah, listen, if you pause it in just the right place, you can you can see Tom Cruise's sunglasses. So basically, like, um, <laughs> so, um, but uh, I can remember I was 15 years old and I saw this scream to be candid. I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't tapped in to cultural zeitgeist to know like it had come to video at that point, but I was not a part of that scene. This was just an interesting looking cover. And I was like, oh, the Scream thing. Okay. Like I know the director Wes Craven. I've seen, you know, several of his films, uh, People Under the Stairs at that point, Shocker, of course, Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. So I was like, all right, yeah, yeah. Let me let me bring Scream home and see what this is like. And guys, I can still remember sitting up in my room. I can visualize it right now. Sitting up in my room, Brandon, you talk about those, those, those opening minutes, like the phone call, the I want to know what I'm looking at, who I'm looking at. The way that whole scene plays out, it was electric for me. I was sitting there. I was like, what in the world am I watching? This is so cool. And then the film progresses to this place that is interesting and funny. Uh, The rhythm kind of in the middle, kind of the long stretch in between that galvanizing opening scene and the long night at the party where the whole climactic everything happens. Um, That long stretch You know, had sort of up and down returns for me. I was like, "Oh, okay, who done it, and what is this?" But it was that bookend of "Oh my god, that opening," and "Oh my god, that ending." That I was just like, "Holy cow!" It was mind blowing to me. There were two killers. Two what? You can have (laughs) you can have two
2: killers in a movie, you know. Like, and (laughs) I just (laughs) had this image of you passing out. Like, just I falling was, over in your seat. It's the Vince McMahon I mean, meme. Listen. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa!
1: <laughs> I'm amazed that you saw Shocker, and we're still willing to watch another Wes Craven movie.
3: I now. mean, but the- fair point. Fair point. Fair point. The man, God love him. God rest his soul, has made some clunkers. He has made some real clunkers. Yes. But, um, but yeah, it was it was so galvanizing to me. To that point, like, and, and, and at 15, I didn't have the community I have now. I didn't have sort of the 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 social and cultural sort of um land you know i I didn't have people i could call and be like oh my god have you seen this movie i was just kind of in a bubble being like man i'm just what is this i love this film so much uh i think before i returned it to the video store i might have watched it at least a second time maybe a third um i was just i was so taken with it um loved it so much um, and it's one of those few experiences that I, I can remember like being at home and seeing it, but can still remember so much around it because the energy just shot through the roof. And I feel like not only for that individual film, but I feel like, honestly, they could make Scream 25. And I am probably still going to sign myself up for it because there's a I don't They probably know if, will, by the way. <laughs> they may. Yeah. I don't I don't know if it's loyalty. I don't know if it's nostalgia. I don't know what it is. But there is still this, this affectionate version of me that is friends with my 15 year old self going like, yeah, remember that? Oh my God. Wasn't that fun? And so whenever I cue it up, even in spite of itself and in spite of the way I feel about it now in my forties, um, I still remember that and I'm still so, so fond of it and of the franchise as a whole by extension because of that. So that's my, uh, that's my kind of history with that. Um, why don't we do this? we can bounce around to any number of other didactic pieces that we want. Uh, but why don't we sort of kick that door down? Uh, Nathan, I'm going to pass the baton over to you for, for our official. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was all this like memory lane <laughs> silliness, like guys, 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 <laughs> lest all of you forget. I know it's been a minute for some of you. We're a horror show. And uh, you know, if it's gory, if it's gross, if it causes you a fright, it is time. For the part of the show that we call That Ain't Right. That ain't right. It ain't right. Nothing right about it. No, it right. No, it ain't right no, that ain't right. 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 That ain't right. That ain't, ain't right.
0: right.
3: That sure as hell ain't right.
2: <laughs> Musical Interlude. how you want to do it that's how we'll do it um all right our guests so you uh have been both been on here before that ain't right you know it's just just pick a scene pick a moment it can be meta it can be in text you know whatever you want um matt i think you went first on the memory lane uh talk so brandon i'm gonna come to you what would you elect as your that ain't right for scream 96 I, I was
1: thinking about this a lot um there were some gloriously wonderful that ain't right moments that i i won't spoil because i'm sure some of you will will bring them up for me the really is this is your one- moment say
2: what uh, you want to say I, 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 uh,
1: for me the one part that really kind of stuck in my cross so to speak um the one thread that that i feel like i wish that wasn't there is the the discourse around Sydney's mother. Um, there's so it. much smart stuff happening in the movie about rethinking what it, at least what the, the stereotypes are on, on sexuality and slashers. I think it's more complicated than, than the rules make them out to be. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have a main, main character who has sex and survives screen and they, they point that out. And, and so that there, there's some play there, but then when we get to the talk about Sydney's mother, all of a sudden we're slut shaming. Mm-hmm. over and over again, like repeated baseball bats to the head of derogatory language about women and shaming women for sexuality. And I, yeah. I understand this is coming from the mouths of the villains and all this. And I I get that, that we're not supposed to take it at face value. But it's still for me, it really took me out of those moments. And I, this, this feels not so much fun. Um,
2: Let me jump in there real quick, because I, I want to just Uh, uh, affirm you there because so as mentioned this is my second um, viewing this year and um, we did not mention this at the top I'm going to interject on my own self here Uh, this is our our Scream 96 Redux episode we did cover this back in October 24th of 2017 it's part of our I Love the 90s series recorded live at Halloween Horror Nights read Lackey that was a good time Uh, you can hear me shriek like a banshee Um, (laughs) not not fun Uh, but um jump jumping back in here, Brandon, the uh I've got uh a 15 year old and I'm about to be a 13 year old. My 15-year-old is a bit too uh, you know, not on board for the horror train, and that's totally fine. But my my I'm about to be 13 year old is very intrigued and you know, has in the last 18 months or so like watched Prey, watch some of the Shyamalan stuff, uh, you know, is is very interested. And so uh, so much of what I watch these days or am rewatching. I'm like, okay, I'm paying attention. Like Uh, how good or not might this translate for her. And, and I hate that component of this film. Uh, I hate in general that over, uh, and it comes back up again in three, it's lightly at least Mm -hmm. sprinkled into two, but in one specifically, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like the foregrounding to your point, it isn't just, you know, you know, hey, this is a, a, we needed some plot to steer our current action. It isn't that it is. Oh my God, really? Again, with every character, it's, it's really a bad look, uh, and, and makes it unfortunate. And it's wild to me that I could say, I I ponder watching this, uh, watching this with my kid, if it was only the entrailed body of a person hung from a tree, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that, I can sort of contextualize, uh, this I'm like, damn y'all. It's yeah. Just- so it's, it is right, very right yeah. no i yeah. Yeah, no.
0: i have a slightly different reaction to this because i I, okay. I noticed this as well on the rewatch um but i felt to me this was one of the this is one of the things that dates the film that in yeah. 1996 i don't think it would have occurred to people <laughs> if this was i mean even the whole the, the whole discussion where she's talking with um with rose mcgowan in the store and like you know she's she's thinking about finally sleeping with Skeet Ulrich's character. And she's like, you know, he's been very patient with me that way of talking about <laughs> a woman. Like I've been holding out for a whole year on my boyfriend. Like, you know, like it's something I should feel kind of bad about. That's not the way anyone would talk today, but, and and I'm not, I'm not, you know, just looking at it from a, a you know, like a, a a God's eye view. It's like, that was the culture back then. That was the way people talked. It, it, it's not approving of it to just note that that is the way a lot of people... It was realistic. The only time that the, that the realism slipped for me a little, there was a point right after he gets, you know, he's locked up and then he comes out, he meets her again and she's, you know, they're interacting. And then there's this point where he sort of like immediately brings up, you know, how he she should get over her mother's death and think about getting together. And what bothered me was not yeah. the... Was not the crassness of it, or or the the sexual politics, just it it felt wrong. That didn't feel realistic. That felt like a weird thing to say right after your girlfriend's had you arrested to say, "Well, you know, you should really get over the fact that your mother's dead and sleep with me." And it, like,
1: it's been like a whole year. I mean, come yeah, on, right.
0: In that particular moment, I'm like, even a, even a a teenager at that era would not talk that way. That was odd. <laughs> that was like a screenwriting failure. But the rest of it is like, I totally get why it bothers you and why you wouldn't necessarily want your kids to see it. But to me, that's just, that's the way people were. It's just like the homosexual panic humor of those days mm-hmm. that you, you don't see I, anymore in films because yeah. we just evolved beyond it. And that's a case of where it's another example of culture changing over time and stuff landing completely differently than it used I, to
1: I noticed Nev Campbell throwing out the insult pansy that had just yeah. stood right by me in previous years. She called
0: my mama's that. boy at one yep. point. And I'm like, yep. yeah, that's, gosh, yep. that's really yep. 90s. Yeah. No, I, yeah. and
1: I, man, I really hear your point. I feel like if, if there were, were one or two off color references to Sydney's mother, I would, would say that, that, yeah, you know that's, right? that's within the, the milieu of the time. But, Somehow those screenwriters in their West Craven or somebody was really hung up on this in a way well, that to me went beyond 19. Years. I mean, if
0: it kept coming up in the sequels, which I, I don't remember very well at all, then I, mm-hmm. I could see where it would, it would just tend to amplify. And it's true in, in the moment. It was just, but yeah, I I got it. But I was just, for me, it was just like, well, this is the past is a different country.
3: And, and also, again, it's like, yeah, yeah. And, and also I think I think two things are just maybe worth noting. I don't know how much they they influence the thing. Um, uh, the first thing maybe you know to further fall to the film, this is a dimension studios film yep and uh, the Weinstein of it all probably, you know in in, in that kind of conversation, you know i maybe, thought about
1: harvey weinstein's name just as my that ain't right actually
3: <laughs> yeah i mean just you what know,
0: does that, that land differently now and you see it, how much he had his fingers in it's amazing oh,
3: it's yep. crazy it's really really wild the one thing that i will say though that has stood out to me and uh, it stands out to me a lot i i don't remember where we all uh, come from in terms of geographics whether small town or not i definitively did grow up in small towns and i do think This is not a good thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing or it is justifiable, but I do think that reputations like the way they describe her mother, Woodsboro is a small town and it is more possible in small towns like that. I'm not saying it's right or justified, but I do think that sad as it is it is possible for that to be the way for somebody to garner a reputation like that if you are in a a small community which woodsboro is kind of nebulous in that like how small is it it certainly is you know played to be small enough that they can immediately impose a citywide curfew and everybody's gonna follow it you know there's not you know it's a small enough place that they can impose that pretty spontaneously um but again, none of that has aged well. I I completely no. agree that like none of it sits right in am, the in the spirit. Am
1: line. I do I remember right that we learned Freddy Krueger's origin story in Nightmare on Elm Street 3 that Wes Craven wrote?
3: Uh is it in 3 that he did? I believe it is in 3, The Maniacs, the the Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Which, which I right. I
1: couldn't couldn't help but but read this this origin story of the killers and Scream in conjunction mm. with that and think that yeah. Wes, Wes Craven's got some stuff going on there.
3: Yeah, no, that's a, that, that that's astute. That's that, that's well, which is,
1: I mean, one of the reasons he's a fascinating filmmaker is because he's got <laughs> stuff going on.
2: <laughs> Quite <laughs> true. Sometimes it ain't right. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: yeah. I, I, I want to come to Matt, but I, I just, I, you know, I, I think it's this fine line, this balance of like, okay, I'm taking 2023 20, me and, and, and looking at this artifact at the same time, I, to your point, Brandon, it's it's ponderous. It is like, daggum! Every character, every scene. I, I'm speaking a bit with a broad brush there, but it, it feels that way. Um, Matt, what would you have identified for a that ain't right for you from Scream '96?
0: Well, my my that ain't right was exactly for me. A that's that's so right. Um, oh, okay. The thing, one of the 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 two things that I think felt more timeless to me like like as i said going back to scream a lot of it just feels not that special to me anymore but the opening still works the way that it did there was little aspects like even the part where she almost gets around the front of the house and she sees her parents but can't get enough breath to call to them That's
2: great yeah mm-hmm.
0: and so that scene still works, I think, with a lot of the potency that it had when I originally saw it. And the other thing which I I definitely remembered from my first viewing and still worked for me now is the the Leopold and Loeb relationship between uh, it's Matthew Lillard, I believe, is the one actor's name and Skeet Ulrich and, and yep. yeah, yeah. the moment when they reveal themselves and then they're they're in the kitchen sort of revealing their dastardly plan to Sydney where they're gonna, you know, they're gonna kill her. And then murder her father, make it look like a suicide, and blame him, finger him as the killer. And they're gonna, you know, they're gonna be the only surviving victims. And then they, they're gonna stab each other a little bit so that it looks like they were they were wounded by the killer. out here, man. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. And then instead <laughs> of doing the smart thing and waiting until they've actually killed killed Nev Campbell's character, they they just start stabbing each other right then. And and it's this wonderful perfect teenage boy moment of you know okay just just not too deep and keep it to the side and of course the matthew lillard stabs him a little too deep and then he gets mad and stabs him back harder to the point that he's practically matthew lillard's character is practically disabled yeah and i just loved that dynamic between the two of them that that yeah exactly it's like not so hard i'm bleeding out here and that that was there was something about that that just captured the it It almost felt weirdly realistic to what I would imagine real life, you know, teen killers. Mm. this this combination of you know, this you just you like everything as a teenager, you think everything is new and you've discovered everything for the first time, and you know you're godlike and mm. nothing can stop you combined with a total childishness and lack of experience and stupidity. then and, and there's just something about that that was just so wonderfully twisted. um that really and and it's it strikes me too that it's one of the few parts of the film that i don't think was based on anything else that i had seen it wasn't a reference to some other horror movie i may be wrong about that but it it just struck me as as wholly original and not for nothing that's one of the things that really stuck with me and i there's a part of me i'd love to see them do more with that but it it probably is the right length for what it does so yeah Mm. that's my that is so not right but it is so right in not being right Uh
2: I would yeah. argue that that and it'll be interesting in the coming weeks as we traverse through Scream Away to to see what else lands like it. But that's probably for me a top five of the whole series. I mean, it uh, seems like it. It I would be uh, I would be over speaking myself in this moment to say Scream 96 rises or falls on how good that scene is. But I do think the movie doesn't work as well without how good they do that scene uh i think uh I, I i'm even even almost 30 years on and multiple viewings in I, i'm still not really a skeet fan but uh you know matthew lillard just just really really nails that scene it's it's fantastic yeah yeah um, that's
0: one of his best moments i think
2: yeah yeah absolutely uh that is Reed, shaggy about- <laughs> come on now hey man we all gotta work brandon we all gotta work <laughs> um <laughs> oh, i can't yeah. promise i wouldn't do the same but uh uh <laughs> read uh, you go and then I'll, I'll finish this off
3: so um kind of kind of piggybacking a little bit on something else that's that 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 has not aged well um that that, that perhaps even i have some like personal sensitivities to is just like people being mean just people being mean gets under my skin in movies uh i have <laughs> no problems with the killing all the killing, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> <laughs> but murder, <so> just, okay, <laughs> bullying. It's, it's like, uh, it's like uh, uh, Robert Mitchum in Night of the Hunter He's like, uh, not that you mind killing, Lord, your book's full of killing. Um, but uh, the <laughs> the scene that I would say is not right, uh, what stood out to me more so than even any of the, like the gruesome deaths is when Sydney is in the bathroom, um, and then the her. Peers, you know, again, like reputationally, they come in and they're just they're they're just saying all these cruel and heartless things. And I think the thing that I find so not right about it, and and maybe this is going to be a little weird, maybe not for people who've, who've known me a while, is that it's like what is not right about it is that they don't know she's listening, and almost it it to a degree I could almost understand if they knew she was in the room and they were saying these things as a kind of a power play pe- you know people do that it's 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 not good to do so like that but the fact that they're saying such terrible things uh, about this person who has clearly suffered some tragedy that degree of heartlessness uh is just really uh gets under my skin so i know it's not the flashiest or or um slashiest of moments in scream but that's that's what i would identify as the not
2: right scene for me so, yep, um no, I yeah i can I can I can dig on that, um, I think for me, if I were to identify a moment, I mean Casey Becker's the discovery of her body is is pretty terrible, yeah. um, and what's so weird about this movie is its legacy, in contrast to the truth of it, what I mean, my wife is like. I even said, Hey, you know, she, she, she generally speaking isn't in on the stuff we watch, but we, we, you know, kind of had our formative years at the same time. And so she's keenly aware of Scream, you know, watched it uh, in high school and all that sort of stuff. And I just brought it up. I was like, Hey, would you, you do you want to watch this? You know, um, and she has this like, like that legacy sort of uh, feeling of no, not at all. This thing is very scary. Uh, and yet at the same time, the film itself, kind of belies that reputation um you know it has pockets of scary a la that opening scene uh that that final um you know stew and billy scene is more horror than pure scary but it it really works and but i one thing i will say that has come up i think in terms of a positive for the film and for the franchise itself is the design of Ghostface. i think it's fantastic i think it is Uh, exactly. There's a reason this thing has stayed alive. And I'd say a lot of it is that design. Uh, you know, just it's, it's fantastical in a way. Michael Myers was, uh, um, uncanny, right. Myers was scary because it had this uncanny realism to it. This is scary because it's got this, you know, sinister, fantastical aspect about it. Uh, and so, that I, I i might slot that as a that so and a that ain't right but i just think and honestly other than the sexual politics uh, or or not other than because in part of the sexual politics of the first three films most acutely felt in this one i have found myself enjoying the franchise more in its late entries um And part of it is because I feel like for me right now, uh, uh, now rewatching just one and two, I feel like the sinister nature of the ghost face figure is getting played up in a way that I really love. Like I I really, in in a way that this first one it's sinister to begin with, but then it's pretty dumb, you know, which, which works for the human nature of who's wearing the mask. And I, I can reconcile that, but I just love the imposing nature of what, it, it ends up becoming in later entries. Um,
3: you know what's interesting? Any, just real, yes, just real quick please. before we move on from that. Like we think about this as scary movie, like indeed scary movie. But what's interesting is Scream, veritably the entire franchise. This is can be to a degree splitting hairs. So forgive me a little bit. But if we're defining sort of the conventions of what its rhythm is, it's really a suspense film. Like more than sure. a horrifying film, more than uh, trying to elicit like raw terror, it it has some really old school style suspense tactics that it's trying to deploy. Yes, it has startles and 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 everything, but I feel like this is uh, more uh, in alignment with something that you would that you would tell people like, no, it's just very suspenseful. Like if you were framing it to to your wife or something like that, um, be- because worth noting. My wife also is largely not on board with most of the things that I watch. The overwhelming majority of what I watch, she's like, no, thank you. Uh, the the probably biggest exceptions to that is she gets genuinely excited when a new Scream movie is coming out. Uh, we we enjoy the entire franchise together. Um, she also watches the Halloween movies with me, uh, so it's interesting we've done those two franchises. But but she genuinely really enjoys the Scream movies, and and I think it it touches up on that accessibility factor uh that maybe is not necessarily you know people who are wanting something that's going to go for the teeth this is this is not going to do that necessarily um or go for the throat sorry uh with sharp teeth but um but no i do find that that really interesting that it's it's horror yes it's horror yeah. it's scary um but i think much more in the suspense thread of things so for myself.
1: interestingly enough i had the experience of watching re-watching scream um in preparation for this podcast with my wife who had not seen it oh um, mm. she's a huge horror fan um and she is not <laughs> at all squeamish uh, she watched martyrs with me and wanted to rewatch it again um i mean she's
0: wow. she's,
1: she's intense um yeah. but for her scream did not land right um mm. she she thought after that opening scene she said i I, just, I don't really want to see a young woman being terrorized on the phone. yeah, um, mm, she's she's partially aware that uh, she works at Michigan State University, so we're embroiled in our football coach's nonsense who just got fired for wow, yeah. sexually harassing somebody over the phone. Um yeah, wow, sure. but sure. but that for her, this one just it it wasn't the violence. It wasn't the gore or the suspense or anything like that. It was just it, it's it's a experience that's a little too real of of women being menaced.
2: Uh, yeah, two, yeah well brandon that's uh and and maybe as a, a final note uh, and I, I welcome any other that ain't right notes and we'll head out of it but you know when you when those of us with teen kids and i've got all girls uh you know are are entering this phase of vetting things right like okay can they can they within minutes of this one this time i was like damn come on. you know it's just when i can watch that scene and be oh be compartmentalizing right yeah but even still like it is definitionally uh harassing traumatizing home invasion on a certain level of uh an alone blonde teen girl right like that my, yeah. my i know my oldest she'd be out in seconds she'd be like oh uh, no 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i totally get it mm-hmm. um okay all right well did you squirm did you wince? Did you squint your eyes real tight? It was probably because of what we around here call anybody.
3: That ain't right. That ain't
2: right. <laughs> that ain't right. There it is. <laughs> yes. Um, Love it in stereo.
3: That sure as hell ain't right. So I kind of wanted to, so we can feel the freedom over, like, basically from here, Feel the freedom to go wherever we're interested in going. Uh, Matt, Brandon, I know you both came kind of armed with some very thoughtful and uh, and, and elements of this film that you that you wanted to point out. Uh, we'll kind of keep seesawing back. Matt, I'll start with you. Uh, what's something else that kind of stands out? It can be either something kind of didactic that you find interesting or or maybe something that treads us into deeper waters, something that this viewing did for you.
0: Well, one comment I wanted to make, just listening to some of the stuff you guys were just saying, was like one thing that did strike me watching um, the first movie, and then I watched the first half of the the new Scream to twenty twenty two one with the same name, the mm, yeah the, re- the Requel, yeah
3: yeah 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 that and, thing. <laughs> and, it, and
0: one thing that one thing that really kind of stands out to me, and it it works particularly in the first movie, but it's definitely a trope of. Ghostface is one of those villains who's only as competent as he's allowed to be in a given scene. That yes. yep. there are moments where you know, if if Matthew Lillard is wrestling with the real Nev Campbell, he's going to win really quickly. Mm. He could kill her very quickly. There's no reason, like even if she's taken self defense courses, there's a point where yeah. once they're grappling, he's got a knife. He could kill her very quickly if he wanted to. And they do this thing where yeah, Ghostface is constantly running into doors or just missing with the knife and yeah. It kind of works, but it it there is this thing where yeah he's he's they they limit his effectiveness as a killer up until the point when he's actually got to kill somebody. Then suddenly he can be super competent. Like mm-hmm. there's a scene in the in the the newer one where this woman comes running home and she thinks her son's being murdered, but in fact Ghostface is waiting to catch her coming up the walk because she's so intent on getting in the house. And that's right. Yeah yeah and and even the the scene on the phone yes drew barrymore is being terrorized and it's played brilliantly but there's a part of me watching that is like i know women who wouldn't react the way she did it's like Mm. as soon as you realize the guy's playing games you don't answer the phone anymore you stop doing what he wants you to do Mm. and you either get out of the house or you find a place that's defensible and it's like even that opening is certainly—it's it's sort of depending on her to be scared in a very particular way, and and there are yeah. there are different reactions she could have had where it wouldn't have worked.
2: Mm, mm. So,
0: and I was, you well, know, I was to just, your... yeah, it's yeah, it's, to... it's totally it's totally fine, and I I was willing to go along with it, but it just struck me that listening to you talk about that, it's like yeah, that's part of what's terrorizing is she's following the script when she probably shouldn't be following mm, yeah. the script.
2: Well, yeah. and to your point, I think you've you've well said what I was trying to scratch at a little bit is like the legacy doesn't comport with the real, which is you know it has this reputation, and I'll tip my hand a little bit in the in the subsequent film to this one. I think the opening is fantastic and and truly brackets into the horror genre in a real uh, excellent way, but a thing I've until. The beginning of this year when i did this rewatch of the whole series um and 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 chose to enjoy not because it isn't enjoyable but as in like okay i'm gonna set aside my general quibbles and just like buy in on the fun part uh and and was able to do that successfully but to your point matt what i would have what i how i would have described it is uh, ghostface is just like a looney tunes character like this is kind of dumb it isn't scary you know like (laughs) <laughs> yeah yes yes uh or that's wiley coyote did, but Rose yeah, yeah, yeah. throwing yeah. beer bottles at him oh yes and him flipping you know but but that's what yeah. is a little weird again i can choose to look past it out of just general affection for the genre and the the piece itself but you know it's like you've got this super menacing very in- intelligent uh uh mastermind uh that scene to scene is you know utterly incompetent um <laughs> anyway so no i i think that's a valuable
0: oh yeah and the other one is like yeah that where he's somehow in costume able to be stalking nev campbell in a a, a grocery store grocery to, store reflection. Yes. like how does no one notice this and it's yeah. like you don't ask those questions and yeah. there's one other meta note on this comment like as a storyteller what you're going for is you want to engage the audience to the point where they're playing along and they don't ask you know like you even if you notice this stuff you're just going along with it anyway yeah. which is Part of how the movie works is like, yeah, you, if you're into it, you're engaged. You're like, yes, this is ridiculous on one level. He's Wile e. Coyote. But but so what? That that kind yeah. of works. Right.
3: Right. Yeah.
1: To me, that that kind of inconsistency in in Scream maybe works better than the the pattern of Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street, where he's mm. super powerful, super menacing until the end when all of a sudden it's home alone and he's getting buckets <laughs> dropped on his
3: head. That's um, fair. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it's it is it is fascinating. I love the comparison of like very a very cartoonish sort of style because I think one of the things that's interesting, I believe um, you know frequent guest Jackson Har- Harper had first coined this, but what's interesting about Ghostface is that unlike I think any other horror or slasher villain, is Ghostface is not a character that continues to be resurrected, but is rather a mantle that people put upon themselves yeah. and Depending on their motives, depending on their situation, they just they just adopt the the persona. And it's interesting because despite all of these wildly different backgrounds, they seem to when they adopt the ghost face persona they they uh, seem to have the same sort of competency levels with knives or or guns or whatever like they all have this like ghost face i imagine like the ghost face training course oh so you want to be ghost face well you got to do this <laughs> you gotta do this here's and how you have... take a
1: pratfall as you're running around the <laughs> yes. corner yeah.
3: basically basically it's just uh it, it is really interesting to me um I tried to find this time through, and it's it's too inconsistent. You can't can't totally do it. Um, but I tried to find this time through to see who could could I guess who was wearing the costume at yep. which point, like who was doing now mm. in the production of it. There was only one scene in the entire film that it was either Ulrich or Lillard were in the costume. The rest of the time, it was stuntmen because you know Pratt falls, but Prattfalls. um, <laughs> but, uh, but but but. I was trying to find out narratively. I was like, all right, who's doing this kill? Who's and and it was it was interesting. Uh it was a fun almost a fun little game for myself to try to see like, oh, I bet that's I I bet that's Billy or I bet that's Stu uh or something like that. I just thought uh, it was just kind of a silly little diversion when you're watching the film. When you've seen it as many times as I have. Um Brandon, what uh what's some stuff that stood out to you? Some things that uh in the watching of it or re recontextualizing yeah. of it?
1: Um can I share another Scream memory that I, I was was just thinking of as Please. we were talking? So yeah. back in uh, 2001, I was uh, writing for a magazine called DVD Advance. It was a you know monthly magazine that would would review DVDs and stuff. And the the Scream box set came out on DVD. It was just the it was mm. the first three movies. So I managed to talk the editor into letting me review the the Scream box set. And then I also managed to talk the editor into as kind of a, a, a feature around this review letting him uh, having him let me write a history of slasher movies um, so this was this was in 2001 so i, I didn't know who carol clover was i hadn't mm. really studied horror seriously at all. So i was just kind of creating this off of what i knew and stuff but you might be able to somehow dig up an old copy of dvd advance that has my that's awesome review <laughs> of the screen box set and history of the awesome. slasher movie <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh man that's that's amazing i'm ebaying that right now <laughs> oh that's um,
1: awesome yeah i yeah um i remember for for that that project watching an interview of west craven where he was talking about how the movie almost got an nc-17 or did really? originally when when it was first submitted um mm. he yeah, said like- the the it was it was a fascinating story there there the um MPAA's big problem with it was the scene of Casey hanging in the tree Yes, and how long they lingered on that. So the reason we have that really jittery approach to it, the way they they made the MPAA happy was to cut the time down. They cut out every other frame of the zoom into her body to to shorten Hmm. that. And that was apparently sufficient for the MPAA. Although I think the uncanniness of the the speed and that yeah. approach makes it so much more unsettling yeah it makes it um, scarier yeah i the mpaa always does that where they ask you to change stuff and then creative people find a way to make it more offensive or more upsetting or somehow worse and
3: mm-hmm. yeah yep, yeah. yeah. no absolutely it's just
0: weird to compare that to other stuff i've seen in our movies it is far far no worse. kidding
3: yeah and, oh absolutely
0: that's fascinating though and i i again i i I don't know if it's just luck of the draw or if it really is just, well, that was 96. The rules were different back then, but yeah. Yeah. yeah that's cause, wild. Cause one, I think one
1: of the, the nineties weren't quite a wasteland for horror movies. Mm. Um, but putting it in, in the context of not only the, the kind of almost creation of the, the meta horror movie, but that there wasn't much culturally happening in, in horror at that time. Um,
3: not the first yeah. half of the decade
1: no, for, certainly, certainly not the first half of the decade you know was uh. trying to remember you know Candyman and dracula came out in the early 90s he had a every now and then something like that
3: but i mean strange. i loved tremors you know tremors uh, yes, yes. <laughs> that was fantastic. Fantastic. fantastic i do love it yeah, yeah. but but anyway not to just dis- not to derail it but yeah i agree yeah
1: so so you can almost look at it as like the the epicenter of 90s horror in general not just this this one particular branch of, of meta horror but What what kickstarted 90s horror again.
3: Yeah. Um, And I I think definitively and Brandon, you would be the expert on this. So I'm not uh speaking instructively, but but I mean, I think definitively too. like people were weary of slashers by that time. I mean, we'd had, you know, the year prior, we'd had like Curse of Michael Myers. Every major franchise was dwindling down into its, you know, sort of like, okay, we're just retreading all of the same old stuff. So I think people were weary of that kind of thing. And the landmark films that do stand out have a certain niche inventiveness to them. You mentioned Candyman, Co- Coppola did Dracula. Um, you know, there there are some films in that lower half of the 90s that are like, no, these are these are genuinely quite good and and stand the test of time. But I don't think any of them hit the only one that I could think of, I, I did a brief look at the 90s before this, and the only thing that I could think of that like maybe. People were talking about this one, certainly not on the level of Scream, and is it even really horror? Yes, technically. Uh, but was Interview with a vampire because it had Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. Uh that's that's the we only know thing that up. I love. Listen, all the right moves. And so like I and and so like just recognizing that like that was probably it before Scream yeah. comes onto the scene, and then post Scream you have just it, just an explosion now everybody's it, like oh yeah it, it launched, launched, launched I know what you did end, last
2: summer <laughs>
1: uh, yeah <laughs> it launched that entire cycle of of mid to late 90s horror that that meshes the almost the MTV aesthetics for better or worse with yeah. these <laughs> older older horror forms
3: um yeah yeah absolutely um i think i th- the, the thing that i do it, it's really difficult to Get away from Matt. I think you were the first on this pod to kind of kind of point this out. But the way that Scream leverages self-awareness. where It says like we know what we're doing or at least, you know, we we recognize the tropes that we're playing with. Not only do we recognize them, but we're going to call them out as as they're happening. I think about moments like when Jamie Kennedy is as in the character of Randy is sitting on the couch watching halloween and he's talking to jamie lee curtis yeah <laughs> you know whose character was laurie but he's talking to jamie lee curtis and he's saying jamie look behind you look behind you meanwhile ghostface is creeping up behind real world actor jamie kennedy while yeah. he's saying jamie look behind you and then it's and,
1: fantastically doubled even yet again in the the, uh, the surveillance van how they're watching yes, yeah so thirty-second yeah, yeah. delay I'm
3: yes it. yeah and um and i think it's i think that is interesting like when i look back on the film we've already mentioned several of them many many things have not aged terribly well about the interior elements of some of scream but i still for myself i still find it very impressive the way they were able to leverage the metadata uh and just uh, again it it almost uh, because the meta aspect of it feels like maybe the wrong word that that feels a little uh cliched at this at this point but just the self-awareness um even being able to comment on a scene while you're in the scene about the scene that that is happening i feel like those different layers are something that honestly when other films have tried to do it as cleverly i don't think they hold up as well as this original scream does it they deploy so many things pretty effortlessly that i still find pretty impressive um for myself. What myself struck
0: me about that scene was that that was one that probably played a lot better in a movie theater full of other people because that was yeah, the yeah. perfect that's an audience participation moment if ever i saw one it was designed <laughs> for everybody to start yeah. shouting yeah yeah look behind yourself jamie but that was
1: <laughs> indeed <laughs> the yeah so. the moment on along those lines that i i thought was so much fun is um when nev campbell's on the on the phone with Ghostface and he asks you like scary movies, and she says no, they're 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 stupid. It's always some big breasted bimbo running up the stairs when she should be running out the front door, mm-hmm. and then she has her little tussle with Ghostface, and just a couple minutes after that, then she's running up the stairs, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> her, herself. And it's not as obvious as as Jamie Kennedy. It's not happening in real time, but it, it feels like that's just such a, a good example of how Scream feels about horror movies, which is we. We know these cliches. We know on some level they're stupid, and yeah. they're also beautiful. And we're going to keep doing
0: them. <laughs> <And> <laughs> <laughs> that we're, still going to go in the basement alone. Exactly. It's a flashlight that's yeah. not working properly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. Abs- no. Absolutely. I think what's I think what is interesting about about the concept is I f- I feel like so I, I, Nathan I don't think you've seen Funny Games. Matt Brandon, have you seen Have you both seen Funny oh, Games? Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll I'll try my I'll try my best to make my point without spoiling funny games for Matt or Nathan. Um, Michael Heineke made this film that is ostensibly a home invasion film, but towards the end of the film, inside the interior of the movie, he indicts the audience. He he says, like, hey, you you think what's happening is horrible? You're culpable in what's happening like you're watching this can i but- can i
1: give an example that sure to me yeah, really, yeah, really sums yeah. It up? about halfway through the the movie one of the the characters says you know they're tied up in the house well just kill us and get it over with and the the antagonist the invader says we can't do that we still got 45 minutes left to go and then he turns yeah, to the wow. camera
3: and winks. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, it is, it is very, uh, yeah, it, it's it's very much like, hey, w- we are aware of what we're doing, but we're aware of what you're doing and too.
1: That was the year
3: after Scream, right? That's 97. I believe so. Yeah, I, I'm, sure I'm fairly right certain after Scream. Funny Games is, ni- is 97. Um, and so it's just interesting to me because uh, th- the thing we're talking about that uh, there's a line that Billy says, uh, that says like you know, uh, films don't uh, films don't create psychos, films make psychos more creative. I love that. And there is this really interesting interplay. like obviously g- growing up in the household that I did, uh, Matt, I think maybe you'll be able to resonate with with some degree of this though I'm not entirely sure exactly what your upbringing was. but it's just this notion of like, well, art, can be dangerous because of what it can make you do or what it can put in your imagination to do. That was, you know, growing up in a uh, Pastor's Kid, they were always very much like, that's why they were afraid of, of um, you know, certain films and what the material that was in certain films is because it's like, oh man, if you watch all these slasher films, then you're g- going to get put in your mind to then go and slash a whole bunch of people. And what's wild to me is I feel like Scream identifies that, but now hear me, I'm not necessarily saying this is a failure of the film, but it doesn't take that notion seriously. I don't think Scream as a franchise, certainly not this first film, takes seriously the notion of the relationship between you know, the things that we watch, the things that entertain us and what we then find ourselves capable of doing. I do think that's an interesting conversation, but I think scream very much yada yada's it where it's just like, Oh yeah, it's just an excuse to these guys. These guys are very much like, and I think it's rooted in that line. Billy says, you know, that like it's one of the, again, self-awareness moments where he said, no, these films didn't make us, (laughs) they didn't make us psychos. They just gave us ideas. (laughs) You know, they just put something else there.
0: Yeah, my my upbringing. I, I think I did. I have probably talked about this, but it's been a while. Um. Yeah, I the the sort of conservative uh, Lutheran community I grew up with. It was very much this idea at the church I went to that yes, you are of the world but not in it. You know, mm-hmm. you there was a certain mm-hmm. disdain for cultural things of the moment. Our pastor was very proud of the fact he would see one Hollywood movie a year, and it was just to remind himself how decadent wow modern society was and Right. You know, so I I got some of that, but um, but at the same time, I you know, once I discovered me, living in New York City, I'm you know, a Latchkey mm-hmm. kid. I have friends with divorced parents who will take us to see literally anything we want to see. So I got that attitude, but I also was exposed to a lot of stuff that, you know, even today, I'm kind of surprised looking back. Like you know, <laughs> I saw Andy Warhol's Frankenstein in 3D when i was oh wow when i was 11 years old i think that that was when it first aired when it was first in theater so Mm -hmm. stuff i'm not alone no i'm just kidding yeah (laughs) so my my you know my initial response to that was well this is not true that this stuff doesn't affect you that way and my my more sophisticated adult response is that it can affect you but people have an overly simple simplistic idea about how they are affected by media and then it's it's actually really hard to do good effective propaganda and the, mm-hmm. the people who are wow. fearmonger about it always overestimate the ease with which you can brainwash somebody to actually do it right. Like I've seen stuff that's really disturbed me, but, but it, it's rare. You get jaded really quickly by the novelty of stuff. Once you've seen one kind of horrible act, it, 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 you know, it's like it shocks you the first time and then you're like, okay, but it's just spectacle But to actually get inside someone's head and mess with them, that takes a kind of genius that most filmmakers don't have or don't use in that way. So I'm I'm fine with Wes Craven being dismissive about it, because I think in most cases, yeah, it's not true. Eric, right? you're you're pretty warped to begin with, and then you get these ideas because you're just not very creative (laughs) on your own. But, oh, that sounds cool. Let's do that.
2: Right, right. Um, Yeah. I feel like the uh, pull quote for this episode is you're pretty warped to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> Matt
0: yeah but to actually corrupt an innocent takes work and talent yeah. that i and mm-hmm. an intention that i just don't think most filmmakers have and yeah but i'm fascinated by the people who kind of cross that borderline and, and can do I actually it. push back
1: on that a little bit though um don't you think one of the big fears of of a more conservative mindset is that that desensitization you talked about is one of the more damaging things of of seeing this kind of content not that that you're going to go out and kill people but that you're suddenly going to be
0: less concerned less empathetic um i think that's a fair point to raise and and i i think that's probably that's probably a bigger risk Hmm. um but I, I don't know. I think, and maybe this is just my own situation, partly because because I tell stories for a living. I think about the effects of stuff more, so I'm less. Yeah. I, I, I recognize that desensitization to a certain extent, and I've always drawn a really big line between what's fiction and what's real. It's like when you're fantasizing yeah. about stuff, you can go, part of what fiction allows you to do is go places that you can't go in any other way. Yeah. And so- yeah. Yeah, I think that's a valid point to raise, and that's probably a bigger thing to worry about than the sort of cave art that you know I'm gonna. <laughs> I, I draw the school shooting on the wall here, and it it's reenacted. It manifests
3: video over here. here, yeah, yeah. Well, and to, so Brandon, this has been. I can only speak from my own experience, but what's interesting is I I think it's absolutely, one hundred percent true that more uh conservative leaning mindsets fear the desensitization but something that i've observed for years now is i've said now i don't know if it's just a a habit of my personality or an element of my personality or if it is because i watch horror movies almost daily i have found my sensitivity to real world violence real world criminality real world atrocities has has gone through the roof. I can't, yep. I can only stomach so much true crime stuff. I can yep. only handle so much of it. Perhaps this is warped for people. I could line up four slashers in a row, but because there's this thing in my brain that knows this is story, this is fabrication, yep. this is this is fantasy to a degree. So I am relatively unbothered by any of that. That having been said, if I hear, oh yeah, and then this this true crime element where I hear that a, a real person this happened to a real person and this is what they went through, that has more of a possibility to get to get me disturbed or get me like sleepless than any of these kinds of films. Uh so I do think the 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 mindset that fears desensitization, that is absolutely a talking point that they give. Uh and I whenever I encounter it, try to push back against that. I say, for, for my own experience, I think these films have made me more empathetic. I think no, that made I, me more sensitive for myself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, that's absolutely my experience too, that I, I think that's one of the things horror and, and of course, art in general can really do is foster that kind of empathy.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I also though, I'm so my, the first chapter of lurking under the surface is kind of talking about this question of horror movies that, play around with that um Mm -hmm. for me the the two most frightening horror movies i can think of in the last 30 years are movies that use that fear of should you be watching this against you i'm thinking of the ring and sinister Mm. um both Mm -hmm. of those are about maybe
3: you shouldn't be watching
1: this because it can do something bad
3: to you yeah it's fascinating Um, yeah really fascinating matt feels like you're sitting on something there
0: well no i was just thinking yeah like like one of the few ways that a horror movie can still get to me in in the way that you know it did when i was the first time i saw some of this stuff i think is is when it does that when it it, it feels like i'm watching something real so the one that came to mind while you were talking was henry portrait of the serial killer oh i
1: wonder if you're going to which, say that one yeah that- yes. which is shot
0: yes. set you know almost documentary style in in a way and and that you know, I haven't seen it. I, I don't know. I don't know if it would still hold up now, but I remember the first time I watched that, and I'm like, "Man, this is making me really uncomfortable."
3: It's pretty dastardly. It. I mean, I watched it not that long ago, and it's still, yeah, yeah, um, yeah to affirm.
0: And actually, I I started watching um, the Poughkeepsie tapes.
3: Oh, okay. Sometime yeah, yeah.
0: this year, and I I had to just stop because it was like it was too. It was too much like watching somebody's snuff collection. It wasn't like yeah. watching a movie with a narrative. Yeah. It was like, oh, yeah, I've stumbled into somebody's private film collection of them doing horrible things, and I I don't think I'm ready to go there tonight. And I haven't gone yeah. back to it. So, yeah I, yeah, I I have that reaction. Though when I know I'm watching fiction, it's a completely different set of rules. It, you can do anything, sure. and I'm like, ah, eh, but yeah. I know this is fake, and I know that. Yeah. Except in the rare cases where you have a scene that is so grueling, you wonder what what did this do the actor that they did this yeah and i and yeah. i'm more likely to think about that in scenes of sexual violence than i am in physical violence because a lot of that Indeed. stuff is just fake but yeah. um yeah but um but in general yeah there's a big disconnect for me between stuff that's clearly fiction and then yes hearing stories about real things that happened that were you know uniquely horrible. Um, yeah. Or that were you know just just even common common uh, everyday brutality is is can be really can yeah. still shock yeah. me but yeah the the containing in the story though changes everything so yeah.
3: yeah no it's it's true I definitely agree well um God I've loved this so much and I, I don't want this to end but I, I think maybe before we go to our last little segment here is there anything else from from either of you that you would like Hey I really wanted to toss this out there we haven't addressed it yet um, if not we'll head to our little uh, uh scream aween unique Hall of Fame and go to the fog meter, but anything just, else before we do? Just
1: one shout out to David Arquette and how oh, yeah. really deeply funny he is in this movie. I, I did share this movie with with my teen over the summer, and and he proceeded to put together a um Deputy Dewey fan page on Instagram after that's awesome. after <laughs> watching it <laughs> that he thought this character was inspirational. Um, that is awesome
2: hey, listen what did mama tell you when i wear this badge you address me as a man of the law
0: <laughs> that, was, that was awesome yeah <laughs>
2: it's so great he's well, honestly
3: and, one of my favorites of this whole franchise yeah Sorry, Nathan, i think for ahead. me oh, and, uh, when
2: i when i reference how it how i've re-gotten into the the rhythm of the whole series it is things like that it's like okay this is a fun character the 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 series, generally speaking, with a few uh, maybe question marks there, knows what they're doing and and kind of plays with him, and he's he delivers well in it. But but yeah, he's he's a. I
1: I a was so highlight. envious of my son getting to experience him without thinking C A L L A T
2: T. Oh well, <laughs> oh, Yeah. Hey, everybody needs a paycheck, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> Times are <laughs> tough. Oh, man. oh my God. Okay. So here we are. Uh, something we like to do in our franchise series is a Hall of Fame. Not just any Hall of Fame, but a Kills Hall of Fame. And for listeners who were a part of Halloween to Halloween, you know, it wasn't a Halloween Kills Hall of Fame because uh, that movie sucks. What? Uh, it was, in fact, a, Whoa. Kidding, it was, I kind of walked into the joke and I just couldn't pass it <laughs> up. Um, but it was, in fact, a Michael Myers Hall of Fame. So what we are not doing is a scream Hall of Fame. We are doing a Ghost Face Kills Hall of Fame. How this is going to work? I am going to run down the list of Ghost Face Kills. Important asterisk. It has to be Ghost Face, a masked figure doing the killing. Okay. There is a world where if you fight hard for something alternate, we might. Take it as a wild card and consider it. Uh this hall of fame. Of. <laughs> <laughs> this this hall of fame will be um uh, uh uh you know immortalized. Come our epilogue episode, uh, once we round out Scream but everybody who's on an episode gets to contribute. And so uh what I'm going to do right now is run down the kills perpetrated by Ghostface, a la, a masked figure in Scream 96. From the top we have Steve, who uh, you know, poor cold one out in his leather jacket just gets gutted poolside. Uh, you know, sorry, Matt, that house you moved into it just FYI. You might <laughs> <laughs> you know that little stain on the poolside deck there is uh, you know,
0: rough, Drew Barrymore. I totally forgot about Steve. I would have failed the question.
2: Oh, yeah. So Steve <laughs> Steve is first. Following that is of course Casey. Stabbed, as mentioned, about 20 feet from her parents, and then strung up, you know, like because ghost face is superhuman. Uh strung up outside with their just entrails for the world to see. Uh, next up is whom I titled Bob blah Blah. Uh, sure, the Fawns, but also Bob Blah Blah, Henry Winkler, uh, the principal of Westboro High School, Woodsboro High School. Hey, look, we're talking about conservative crazies. Um uh, the scene is the the a knock on the office door happens twice. Fred, the janitor, little wink there. Uh, uh, the principal gets attacked in his office, and then later we learn he was gutted and hung from the goalpost on the football field. We don't actually see this; we learn about it. Uh, two left here. Uh, next is Tatum, death by garage cat door. <laughs>
0: <Sorry.
2: Hey>. uh, <laughs> and lastly, Kenny the cameraman again more people die in this movie what we are looking at is who does a masked person uh a la ghost face kill on screen or at least directly in the film so those are your candidates we can overlap so someone can submit one and someone else can vote for another one um matt i'm gonna pop back to you uh you're gonna go first what would you want to submit to the sorting hat that is the ghost face kills hall of fame of your well, there.
0: i gotta say i feel like the obvious answer has to be drew barrymore because that, that is the mm-hmm. one you really remember i i, I have a, a soft spot in my heart for the death of fonzie but um and i just want to say with the rose mcgowan when i always i was watching that yesterday and laughing because i i every time i i take out the garbage it i'm reminded the safety features on the garage door make it impossible to close if there's even a little piece of litter underneath it <laughs> <laughs> so I kept wondering to myself, like, wow, they, they should sue whoever installed their garage because it shouldn't be able to do that. She should have just I, when it started to close she should have just stuck her foot under and it would the, have gone right back up. The,
1: the first house I bought, the home inspector told me there are no safety features on this garage door. You, you'll get crushed if you run under. it. You got to get that taken care of right away.
0: So Ooh, I guess it can happen. I, I, right I'm now. sure. I mean, and I was willing to suspend his belief, but yeah, and it was a, an interesting kill, but I I, I would go with Drew Barrymore. And the one you're, the one you're alluding to without saying it is obviously the headshot to Skeet Ulrich at the end, because that was, yeah, but, but well, Drew- and
2: here's, here's, here's what we read and I are going to be wrestling with as we go through the series and, and you know, wild card or not, because the, the first criteria was, wearing the mask at all. Well, then you've opened up a whole other catalog of, of possibilities there because Sydney in this film does have the mask on. She just doesn't have it on when she does put the final bullet in skeet there. Mm-hmm. Uh, nonetheless, for the moment, we will keep to these selections. Uh, Brandon, what are you going to submit to the Ghostface Kills Hall of Fame, sir? Yeah,
1: I, I think in in any normal slasher movie, you would say death by garage door. But with everything surrounding the the context of Drew Barrymore's killing in the beginning, I, I have to submit Casey yeah. to the voting okay. Case, Casey at the bat,
3: huh. and I am gonna give. Uh, I am gonna call an audible on this moment, Nathan. You and I didn't discuss this, but uh, what we did at Halloween and Halloween is if one was already called, the next oh. person in line could could pick a different one. So Casey Becker, Drew Barrymore's death is officially nominated. So Brandon, uh, have your pick of of any of the others to also nominate for the Hall of Fame.
1: Well, if Casey's already nominated, I'll nominate Death by Garage Door.
3: All right. Tatum in the cat door (laughs) of the garage. Man. (laughs) Speaking of meta
2: text and Harvey Weinstein, goodness gracious. (laughs) Uh, Um,
3: (laughs) Matt said Colonel Mustard.
2: That's funny. (laughs) Reed, you, you go.
3: All right. Listen. Um. I figured yeah, I figured that, that that Casey and Tatum would probably get some love by the time they come to me. So uh Matt, maybe joining you in 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 sort of my heart goes out to it. Man, the Fonz, dude, I love Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler is a by all accounts, seems to be just just a beautiful human being in the world. Uh, definitely playing yeah. against type, uncredited in this role. Uh, really? Oh, uh, yeah, he hell. didn't re- he didn't receive any credit. You know for what's it.
2: funny about you saying that is, that I was trying to look up the character's name so I could introduce where Brandon was had moved into, and he's not mm-hmm. in IMDb for the film. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he was
3: uncredited for the role. I mean, I think they have this little section when you do the full cast and crew, where you can see the uncredited roles. That's where you'll find like Wes Craven mm. playing the janitor, and that's and and uh, Winkler shows up there. But uh, but yeah, so so anyway, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with him there. It's like look, Henry Winkler, although he he clearly is like a very angry character in this film. So remember, your principal loves you. I'm like, man, that is the angriest. <laughs> love
1: that you've ever <laughs> and menacing those kids with
3: the scissors so. oh my god yeah Yeah, oh. that was good yep. <laughs> the, so great those giant <laughs>
2: scissors yeah
3: <laughs> so great so uh so yeah so my nominee is going to be uh blah blah, blah aka the Fonz, aka principal arthur hembry uh in the uh yeah when he's killed in his office so yep that's mine
0: funny i gotta say you know having having begun this by saying that i felt that the movie had lost some of its specialness listening to all of these little bits and pieces i'm like i i get why this movie is still so beloved so yeah Yeah. it's it's
3: yeah yeah it's really cool no I, i i totally agree i totally agree and i think this has more of them than any of the sequels have the sequels you know kind of try to recapture that magic but it's it's effortless in this original i think that what you're describing matt all right, Nathan, bring us home. What you think?
2: The two remaining are Kenny the cameraman and Steve. Um hmm. I think I think by the thinnest of threads, I'm gonna submit Kenny the cameraman. If only because I think the 30-second delay element of the movie is so well constructed and and utilized and clever that the payoff there is simply he doesn't even know the thing is about to happen to him and so it's 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 a good um yeah you know just kind of a fun payoff for that yeah that
3: and choice. i'll yes and you a little bit on that i love the shot it's one of them st- still one of the one of my maybe one of my favorite shots when gail gets into the van and run and she's like what is this on my yeah. on my windshield and then runs the wipers and it's the blood from kenny like I love that shot. I which, think that shot's which really well,
2: see, what's funny about that? I don't disagree. In isolation, that shot is quality, but in the <laughs> ongoing, how well do I buy what is has happened on screen? Really. You took time to hoist Kenny up on top of the van, you know, and position him just so. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that one, of I, course. I, yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. But well, if they, they can just, string Drew saying,
1: Barrymore up in a tree in about 30 seconds, I'm sure they sure. Can sure. It. That's fair. Yeah, Literate. Liter- yeah.
3: yeah. Brandon, to your point. Literally, they tie her up there and get out of the way in the time it takes her mom hearing her on the phone on the phone to walk to, out the door. Yep, yep. And it's, it's like, what was the uh, the twenty eighteen Halloween where it's like Michael Myers apparently had had time to carve out the man's head in a jack-o'-lantern fashion and shove it onto a flashlight. It's like yeah, just, <laughs> they have a that's just killer. That's just creativity, Reed. There are yeah.
1: some really industrious killers. Um, Absolutely.
0: Well, remember the original Halloween? He's got his mother's tombstone in the house. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So like, yes. <laughs> where? How long has he been hauling that around with him all day? So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the
3: first Halloween you just picture. Uh, it, we used to have a segment we haven't revisited as nearly as much as we need to, but um, there's a segment that we briefly introduced called "It's Not Your Movie," uh, where like the characters like in the world that we're seeing, but but they're they're not actually part of the movie. And so I'm just with what you just said. I'm just picturing some. Guy just walking his dog looking and seeing Michael Myers hoisting this tombstone like all the way down the street. And he's like, huh, well, that's uh that's an odd thing for a person to be
2: doing. <laughs> you don't say that every day, do you?
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. Okay. Um, well, that those are our nominees for the Kill Hall of Fame for the Scream franchise, specifically the Ghost Kill Hall of Fame. We have nominated Casey Becker, played by Drew Barrymore dying in the galvanizing opening moments tatum through the garage door principal hemry and hembry in his office and then kenny the cameraman from the original scream those are our nominees uh stay tuned for the epilogue where we will count down which of these nominees actually make it into the top Mm -hmm. 10 ghost face kills from the entire scream franchise but before we uh, exit and, and and say goodbye to each other, we have, of course, our fog meter. This is our very specific metric in uh, the fear of God. This has been so much fun, you guys. I'm really sad that it's ending. Um, but a uh, very specific metric of fear and God. It's our way to discuss not necessarily the quality of the films, but their gravity, their heft, how much they ask of you as the viewer. So um, we're going to start with Fear. Um, and, uh, Brandon, I will go to you first. Uh, you've been with us enough to feel acquainted with the fog meter. So sure. what would you give scream 1996 on the fear measurement?
1: I would probably give it, a, I'm going to say a six almost entirely for the opening scene.
3: Oh yeah, <laughs> sure. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. Matt, what would you give it for the fear measurement?
0: I'm kind of torn between trying to remember my reaction. The first time I saw it and now, I think t- today I'm leaning more towards a four. I, I don't find mm-hmm. it scary at all but i think i'll give it a little i would I mean, actually my first thought was three but i'll give it a four just for nostalgia's sake um but sure. it's not really a movie i watch to be scared i don't think it's, it's sure. yeah
3: yeah no that makes a lot of sense nathan what would you give the original for fear
2: yeah having no memory of how i received this in 90s 90, in 96 uh in terms of it being scary or not um i i did have the feeling watching it this time about halfway through like this isn't scary. <laughs> I was like, huh. Interesting. <laughs> I'm just kind of watching this now. Um, but I do love the beginning. I do uh it's a different version of scary, but I do love the the stew billy kind of scene. It's it's like equal equally sinister and pathetic, uh kind of all at the same time and which kind of makes it it kind of raises the bar for its its substantiveness there. Um so I think five feels safe. Uh feels like a where I'm feeling.
3: All right. Uh, No problem. I think for myself, I mean, I'm landing in very similar places to what we've all described. I think I'm still remembering well enough what it was like for me sitting in that room watching it the first time. So I'm going to be a little bit more generous on that. Give it a seven um, for that factor, because I do feel like if you're viewing it for the very first time and not as acclimated to some of these films the way that I think I feel like all of us are, uh, it, it has the goods. If you are pretty well versed in it, maybe not so much. Um, So, yeah, seven feels seven feels right for me Um, for the God meter or or its substance. I'll I'll start and we'll snake our way back around. Um, So the, the themes that it has on its mind are interesting. I think what's what's tearing me up about this is I feel like how it's about what it's about is so strong Um, there are some aspects to what it's about that I'm like, like we've talked about these haven't aged very well. They don't have the greatest staying power in terms of just, uh, cultural representation for the mid nineties. But, um, but I think I'm, I'm going to land at a six on that because I'm so fond of. Probably would be less generous, but I'm so fond of the way it is about these things. And honestly, uh, like I've mentioned already, its ability to to be self-aware is is really at a, a higher value. So, yeah, that's where I'm landing on the God Meter is a six. Nathan, what would you say?
2: I think in the long view, Sydney becomes a pretty interesting uh, pillar to the overall franchise. But I can't shake. It's going to sound harsh, but I actually do i've come to really re-enjoy this movie a lot i'm I'm gonna go for a four I, I think it's relatively empty um i think it's savvy and clever but the the pitfalls it succumbs to very readily uh kind of reveal to me that it wasn't really thinking or thoughtful about kind of how it approached any real thematic you know kind of note Sure. Sure. No, that
3: makes sense. Um, okay. Matt, what would you give it for the God meter?
0: I think in this case, I'm going to split the difference between the two of you and give it a five because mm. I actually, you know, despite everything I've said, the like this conversation we've had is I've really enjoyed as well. And to me, it's like there are movies that even that they don't necessarily work for me as well as I, I would like them to the fact that they give me something to talk about, like the, the bad movies, I mean, there's just nothing to be said sure or the yeah. movies that have you know become dated and like that's yeah fair. i kind of remember what that was like but even this one you know with with everything i can i can say about what you know how i feel like it, its day has kind of passed for me it's still there's a lot in there to talk about so i'm kind of sure. psyched about it. so i'll give it a five
3: yeah that's that's completely fair brandon bring us home what would you give it for so that? i think i think i'm going to give it a six um mm-hmm
1: reflecting on its legacy and what it, what it has led mm. to. In some ways, it's it's fairly shallow. Um, it's pop culture reflecting on itself. And it leads to movies like I Know What You Did Last Summer and these other kinds of, of shallow MTV
2: horror. I still it know what you also, did last summer. I,
1: and I still know <laughs> what you did the summer before. Le- yeah. Um, but I, I think it also leads to I, th- I think it's also in the lineage of much more sophisticated self-reflexive horror movies like the 2021 Candyman. man. Um, mm-hmm. I, I see this as, as a way that that scream has been kind of taken in, reflected upon and spun around and in a way that's much more uh, much deeper than the original scream is. So because of what it has led to and kind of what this whole idea of being reflective on on the genre of horror yeah and can create i give it a six yeah i
0: shout out cabin in the woods in that vein as well Mm. and something that i i think does a better job of what scream was trying to do for me after i i
1: I hear you i feel that way too by after i showed my kids scream and then cabin in the woods the next week um his response to cabin in the wood was i don't know I, i think it's like scream but mid
3: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. wow and so i kicked him out of the house exactly said, you sleep, you're sleeping at your grandparents house um okay so that means that we give scream the original scream oh my gosh guys uh stunning me we give it a five out of ten on the fog meter which again rates the gravity uh the 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 heft not the quality but maybe the more pertinent question is now knowing what we know, discussing what we've discussed, would we recommend the original scream to people today? So, um, uh, Nathan, I'm going to start with you. We'll let our guests end us off. So Nathan, would you recommend scream to people?
2: Yes. I think I've had this interesting boomerang effect for me on this particular entry. Uh, you know, very meaningful to me as a teenager, uh, I had it wasn't there was no shred of like dislike or disdain or uh, whatever it was more ambivalence uh, for quite a while and I didn't re listen read to our 2017 episode but I do remember feeling some similar things trying to like will myself into enjoying it a little more than I might have at the time but I think I've come to a place of it, of uh, enjoying it more for it's what it represents as a, a piece of pop culture to me it's it, it's a little more. Uh, you could turn this on in the background and just kind of check in on it every now and then while you're doing the other thing kind of fun for me, um, which sure. sounds like a, a, you know, cold recommendation. That's, that's not actually what I intended there. But but yeah, I do recommend it for sure. Yeah.
3: Um for me, for myself, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to something I said near the near the beginning of this conversation. It ranks as in my top five, my favorite scary movies. I think a lot of that is rooted just in how well I remember uh, the experience of seeing it for the first time. I do heartily recommend it. I think if I was showing it to a friend uh, today who was completely unfamiliar with the franchise, I would preemptively contextualize some of the stuff we've talked about. I think I would just give some lip service at the very least to like, hey, there's some stuff in, you know, here that hasn't aged terribly well surrounding those subjects. Um, But with those caveats out of the way, pop the jiffy pop, uh, you know, turn off the phone. No, and, don't do and that. I say, <laughs> and I would uh, and I would absolutely uh, wholeheartedly recommend this. So, um, Brandon, would you recommend the film to people? The original yeah, film? I,
1: I would recommend. Um, I'd also say context is important for it, um, both in terms of, of some of these questions that we've talked about and also just in terms of how much better it plays when you kind of understand where
3: it's coming from in history. Yeah. Sure. Um, no, absolutely. And Matt, bring us home. Would you recommend the original scream to people?
0: Um, I, I think the way I would phrase it is if if this sounds interesting to you, then watch the first 10 minutes and you'll know whether it's your kind of movie. Uh, that's, yeah. that's one yeah. thing it's got yeah. going for it is that, you know, very quickly whether it's your jam or not. And that's and it's right. Yeah, very yeah. Well
3: absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's very well said. Guys, I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your evening. This has been so much fun. I hope you both have had half the fun that that I've had. Um, and I, I think I can probably speak for Nathan in saying that, but we really appreciate you both being here. Brandon, Matt, thank you so much for taking some time out of your evening. Thank you. This
0: was
1: lovely.
3: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Um, uh, and Nathan, thank you as always. Listeners, thank you as always. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in spooky season. Here we go. We are launching Scream-a-ween. the scream of ween scream of ween is upon us. Uh, so that means that next week, we are going to hopefully have uh, a new cavalcade of guest stars, and uh, we are going to be venturing into our college days with... <laughs> Scream 2 uh, when we are going to uh, see what the the adventures, the ongoing adventures of the Woodsboro survivors uh, as they venture on to, to their college days and new ghost face killers and new slashings and all that other fun stuff. So, if you happen to be watching this franchise uh, along with us for the first time or revisiting it as so many of us are, then uh, please acquaint yourself with Scream 2 for next week. Um, and as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Matt, Brandon, thank you again. Nathan, thank you as always. Listeners, thank you. Absolutely. We will see you all next week. Don't hang up on me. (laughs) The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media, essays, and episode archive merchandise and more. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast. There you'll unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online event access, and so much more. We want to issue a special thanks to Jacob Hunt of tracermatula.com for our artwork, also to our assortment of talented musicians, including Andrew Nelson, the Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes, and also to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. Special thanks also to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.
0: Hi, everybody.